This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to the first installment of the Spring 2017 UC Santa Barbara Distinguished Speaker Series. I'm John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Greathouse. We have a great guest with us tonight, Pamela Temple, CEO and co-founder of A Place for Mom. Pamela co-founded the company in 2000, and for the next 11 years, she served as the company's CEO. She currently continues to serve at the company as the chairman, and she's still overseeing the aggressive growth that the company is experiencing. During her years as a CEO, A Place for Mom was honored by both Deloitte & Touche and Fast Company as one of the fastest growing tech companies in America. Prior to starting A Place for Mom, Pamela was in the, worked in the senior housing industry uh, primarily as a VP of sales and a VP of marketing. And that's, very, that's a very important lesson there for would-be entrepreneurs. It makes a ton of sense to learn the industry that you think you might want to start a business in. It's going to increase your chances of success dramatically. If you just come out of school and you don't have experience in a particular market, it's going to be hard for you. You're not going to have the network. You're not going to know the people in the industry. You're not going to understand how the industry works, and every industry is, is unique. Uh, and Pamela cut her teeth in that industry before she decided to start a company in that industry. I love her vision. It was very clear. It was very concise. Finding a better way for baby boomers to find the right care for their aging parents. She was able to execute on that vision, ended up helping millions of seniors extend the quality of their life um, through better health care and through better living. Changing the world, folks. The company also has, a, um, in addition to its service component, a software component. It sells a customer relationship management tool into senior housing facilities. So there was software and there was service um, combined in the company. So Pamela led the company from lean startup, friends and family, catch-as-catch-can, bootstrapping. In 2006, she raised money from a top-tier venture firm, Battery Ventures. And four years later, in 2010, she sold a majority stake in the company to a private equity firm, Warburg, Pink, Warburg Pincus, and we're going to talk about why she did that. We're going to talk about taking venture capital money, and we're going to talk about what, you know, why not an IPO or why not another exit, because I'm sure the company considered all of those possibilities. She earned her bachelor's degree in speech pathology and audiology from Clarion University, and she earned a master's degree in healthcare administration from the University of Pittsburgh. We are so happy that Pamela lives in Santa Barbara and has joined our tech community. I've already seen the impact that she's making. She's networking um, in our community in a, in a big way, which is wonderful to see. But I'm most excited that Zoe, her 13-year-old daughter, is here with us tonight. She's getting to watch her mom up on stage. And even more excited by the fact that Pamela's mom is here. So we have three generations of Pamela's family celebrating her entrepreneurship and her success with us. And I think that is so important. Family first is one of my credos. Your family is the most important asset in your world, and you really have to service your family. And I think it's a great testament to Pamela that not only is her, her daughter here, but her mom's here too. Pamela is, a, uh, is addicted to playing tennis, which means I will never play tennis with her. Um, I, there's, I'm far too easily embarrassed, and I am not going to get anywhere near her on a tennis court. And she's actually in the, in the early stages of ideating and researching her new business. And we'll see how good I am at getting a little bit of information about that new business when we chat. Let's welcome Pamela to our class. Thank you. 
Wow. Hope I can live up to that. Yes, I know those long introductions I'm known for. I, just, I try to shorten them, but there's, you've done so many things. I wanted to get some of those out on the table. Thank you. So when you were in college, so we have a lot of college students here, and then a lot of the folks that have watched this online are, are, are younger. A lot of them are emerging entrepreneurs. So when you were in college, did you anticipate that one day you'd be sitting up here having run a company for well over a decade, a sizable business, quite successful? Um, what what was that path in your mind when you were out here? Well, I'd like to say yes, um, but really I was thinking, how do I pay off all these student loans? <laughs> um, and uh, I did always want to be an entrepreneur, though. Um, I started, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, my mother is an entrepreneur, and um, essentially when I was eight, I went to my dad's company, and it, he had the chair, the first chair from 1950s that actually rocked and moved around, and I thought, this is where I want to be. This is fantastic. You could spin around. Yeah, it's just, and we had a calendar with our name on it, and it was just, to me, that just seemed like a lot of fun. Yep. And so that, that seed was planted, and then... Uh, when I was in college, I actually um, realized about two years in as a speech pathologist mm -hmm. that I did not want to sit in a small room mm -hmm. with one other person for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. And I went, oh, no, because when you're taking, right. you know. Can um, you hear this? Can you hear yeah, this? science, you know, the, the science of sound and the, the anatomy of the speech and hearing mechanism, it doesn't transfer well to other things. So I ended up taking a lot of business courses, kind of started shifting and though I was offered a full scholarship in speech pathology, I, I went and paid an enormous amount of money for my master's degree because I wanted to make that switch, because I wanted to get into right. um, management and eventually entrepreneurship. So what, if you don't mind me asking, what was that initial drive to take that major? Um, Just in, did, was it more of a desire to teenager help teenager looking down a list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think I wanted to, um, I thought I wanted to work with children. I really wasn't sure. And yeah. I, I just met with some other students who were just like, you know, I just don't know exactly yes, where yes. I want to plant that flag. And, you know, part of my, my thing is I'll never regret being a speech pathologist. It, it framed who I am, how I think, systems, structure. There, there's a whole lot of things. So no matter, even if you do take a wrong turn or you, yep. you don't have the ideal job, just take all of that you can from it. And then just move on um, when you can. Yep. And, it, you know, at that point, it seems really dire. I had two years ahead of me. You know, <laughs> more speech pathology classes. What am I going to do? But, you know, you just do it. And, um, and, and it, it was a great stepping stone. Well, I had a student in my office hours today with that exact dilemma. He's, in, he's a junior. What's my major going to be? He wasn't able to pursue the major. He wanted to for a variety of reasons. And I know parents hate to hear this. But it doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't. You know, learn as much as you can and keep your eye on the prize. If you, if you think you're an entrepreneur, it'll, you, you will figure it out. Right. You're not, you're not destined to be an accountant just because you got the accounting degree. I have an accounting degree. I'm not an accountant. So exactly. it, you, can, you can still pick whatever path you want to pick. But yeah. it does seem dire when you're 20 years old. You're it does. spending a lot of money. Right. Yep. yep. So you came out. You, got, you said, I need to make a left or a right, and I'm going you know, to pivot a little bit. I'm going to get that business degree. Then what, what was that next step right out of... Because right um, now you have more debt. You've got to feel like you've got to pay it off. Right, and then you have more debt. Um, and so then it was... Uh, and also, I just loved college um, and wanted to keep going, but I needed to make that shift. So I got the Master's in Healthcare Administration, which is sort of like an MBA for healthcare, very kind of specific. A lot of people who have that degree go to be hospital administrators, which sounded really extremely boring to me. <laughs> Did not want to do that. So I was in this program, and again, like, everybody's doing this, but I want to go here. 
Um, and so I just did. I just went a different way. And I ended up going into um, uh, kind of administration of rehab. And one of my favorite courses in my master's program was what we called at the time strategic planning. I know that's a really outdated term now. And, um, but it was sort of this kind of a class where we got to create a business. And I actually created um, Friendship Village, which was an elder care. No way. Yes, I know. I can't even believe it. Sometimes I go, I did that at that time. So everybody else was creating hospital programs and products and things for you know, that type of... Um, and I created this thing in elder care. And so it was... It was Percolating, um, and you know, it it didn't pro forma out real well um, at the time, so I didn't you know think, oh, I'm going to jump into this and do it. Um, and then I I interviewed with Ernst and Young, um, and everybody, you know, I had we all went out and interviewed and had you know this big consultant consulting firm that I could have gone to work for, yep. and I chose to work for a rehab company. Mm. And people were like, what are you doing? You know, go work for Ernst and Young. And I just took a different way yep. and a different path. And, and for the longest time, I was like. Did I make a mistake? Yep. You know, um, should I have done that? It would have been much broader experience, much more pay. But I just, you know, you just got to follow your heart at some at some yep. level, even if it doesn't seem like that's what the in crowd's doing. But I, but I think uh, I, I taught a class right before this one, and, and one of the terms I used today was when everyone's zigging, you should zag. If you're an entrepreneur. So if everyone's doing something, you should just at least question that. Like, why are they all doing that? Maybe there's another yeah. path here for me. So it sounds like that's what you did. Maybe it was more implicit, but you just you, know, you didn't follow the herd and say, well, I guess it's consulting. Right, and I, and I didn't do it because I thought that would lead for me to be an entrepreneur. I, I really just, that's what I, I just thought that was a more interesting job. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you follow your heart that way, it will lead you to better things versus trying to, you know, Right. Put the circle into the square. <laughs> yeah. Being a yeah. bit of a contrarian uh, often pays off as you're, as you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. So let's just stay in that mindset of being a young, you know, young college person or somebody around the college age. I know that, and I want to talk about sales and marketing because I love the fact that that was your focal point because that's the heartbeat of business. Um, but at, that, at the time that you were a student, is there anything that you, you think would have prepared you better for running a business if you, if, you, if you sort of knew, oh, I should focus on this now so it's going to pay off later? Right. Um, you know, I think lots of things, but, um, and even for my daughter, you know, I, I love that the schools now do more about presenting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually extremely shy. I didn't speak out loud until I was in fourth grade. Um, so the fact that I can even do this now is kind of a miracle. So but, your mom's here because uh, we can check you on that. Was she okay, shy? Check that. Okay. All right. So We're going to keep coming back yeah. to you. <laughs> and, um, and so I think... You know, you get into these great schools like you're here, and you have the IQ, and I think it's the EQ. Yep. And I was so interested that recently <laughs> Zoe came home and told me, you know, we're doing this test. I forget how she explained it, but essentially it was a test for EQ, not IQ, and not math. Mm -hmm. It was how well do you work with teams? How kind are you? How caring are you? And, you know, I don't know how you teach that, but you can... Uh, I found throughout my career that really made a big difference. Um, just being real and mm -hmm. not always worrying about the spreadsheet or the, the PowerPoint or the word. It's just like a relationship. Yeah. Um, so that's and I one think thing it's being self-aware. I think being yeah. self-aware and knowing what works for you, what doesn't work for you, you can't really form an effective team around yourself if you're not honest with yourself. Right. And sometimes that honesty comes with maturity. I know when I was the age of most of the folks here, I... You know, I, didn't, I wasn't self-aware because I just wasn't able to be honest with myself yeah. as to what I could do well and what I couldn't do well. Right. 
a lot of times we want to paint those negative things we have. We did this, I don't know, it was really horrific actually, this, uh, this thing we did at our company, which we'd kind of like um, have systemized calling each other out on our weird stuff we do. <laughs> you know, like we could all mm-hmm. say to each other in a, in a safe environment though, like, you know, so when you're in those groups, you can stop and say, what if we all did this in a kind way, but just sort of like, well, I wish you would answer emails a little quicker, uh-huh. and I wish you would, you know, right. whatever it was. But it was to help us grow, not to be, right. um, you know, um, hard on each other, right. but to right. help us grow. So was that a formal process you started at the company when it got bigger, or what? It was probably more um, at, the, at the earlier stages, and, um, you know, you mentioned co-founder. I will mention I had two great co-founders who are still my very, very, very best friends. And, um, you know, so much fun. Um, and we were all always able to take it to the mat and get up and be like, yeah, that was fun. Yep, yep, yep. You got to be able to let it go at some point. We, we had um, Brian, my one co-founder, always had a saying, which was, um, admit quickly when your idea sucks. You know, just like get over it right, <laughs> and move right. on. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a big thing in companies because sometimes you just like, you know, just want to hold on to something for whatever reason and you need to kind of take a deep breath and you, you need to fight for it and go to the mat, but you yeah. also need to get up and let it go. We, we, you know, I think that mutual respect is really important. One of the companies that I did in town, I think one thing we did well was it, it was never one person's idea. Like, we didn't take ownership of the idea. Right. Like, well, that's Brian's idea or that's John's idea. So true. It was just, it, yeah. it's an idea. It has an advocate, and I might be against that idea in a right. week if, I, if something changes, if I learn something new. It's, it's easier said than done, but I think the way you do it is you start with that mutual self-respect. Like everyone, you know, it's not, it's not personal. You have Pamela, to have But that. I don't agree with you on this one. And you can leave the room understanding that. It's, like, right. it's not personal. He just doesn't agree with me on this issue. Yeah. It makes it easier. So I, I, I want to get back to the sales and marketing. That was something that you were drawn to. Um, what, how did that manifest itself? Were you just the, the person that naturally, organically, that you were the, the right person? And you, had the, you had those VP positions that before you started the business. Was it, was, it a, was it a bit of a dynamic of your other co-founders, or was it just preordained that you were the right person to go out there and well, that was my experience. It's one of the reasons why our co-foundership worked so well, as I was deep into sales and marketing. Um, John, um, Zoe's dad, was deep, um, sort of, uh, so many things, but finance and technology and big picture thinking. He worked at Microsoft. And then Brian, and these guys went to Columbia together. They were roommates. Um, Brian uh, had, had done multiple startups um, many where he like just missed it, like he, mm. you know, just missed it. Variety of things I can really interesting stories I can tell you about. But, but um, you know, I think having the three, um, it, it was clear that that was my. We each had different things that we were great at: right. internet, finance, technology, and then um, sales and marketing. So it just made sense. That first job I took out of. Um, out of, out of school was, so I could go work for Ernst & Young. I actually took a sales and marketing job at a, rehab, a head injury rehabilitation Perfect. Um, property that was actually a, a large company, but I worked at one of their uh, properties, and I ended up transferring with that company many times and um, just kind of set the stage and I sort of grew from there. I, I encourage um, you know, emerging entrepreneurs, 
do sales, even if you feel like it's, yes. you're not comfortable doing it, even if it's not going to be your career, yeah. because it is the heart of business. I mean, if you're not, you know, it doesn't matter how good your product is, and we all know that many inferior products did quite well because the fact that they had strong sales and marketing behind them. So yeah. It's just something you, you have to, especially if you're uncomfortable doing it, you should really try to do it. Absolutely. At least and appreciate it and understand it, even if it's not a vocation. It is the revenue. You know, and, and right. you know, there was one plaque at one company I worked at. I won't say which one because it's kind of mean, but you know, it had his name or had his name looking at him. But on the other side, it said, "It's the revenue, stupid." Mm. Um, you know, kind of not a nice way to put it, but true. And and so many times when I meet with entrepreneurs, they're really excited about their idea, but what's the revenue model? Right. And who's going to do it? And it's okay if you're not going to do it. Sorry. Um, but um, you have to invest. Like I, I have. Some companies I'm invested in, they think, well, you know, we can do it. We don't want to hire the salesperson. Right. I'm like, hire the salesperson. It's the revenue. So, um, yeah. And pay so the critical. person more than anyone else. Like, reward yes. those people. Let them make more than you. I had salespeople make more than me, and I was quite happy to pay right? them because they were ringing the cash register. It's and so counterintuitive, but it yeah. makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... So, as I mentioned in the introduction, you worked in the industry, which I think is brilliant. You sort of understood the industry as an insider would. What led to that? What led to the jumping off point of starting a business? So, clearly, there, was other, there were other players in the market delivering that service. What was the product market fit that you guys saw as a differentiator and, and caused you to do it? Well, this was um, an interesting story. So, <clears throat> I would like to say I was sitting down penciling it out. But what happened was um, John... Uh, was being recruited by Brian to go to this startup, which was in Hawaii, and it was... Oh, you should have done that one. Well, (laughs) let me tell you where it went, and you will actually say, yeah, you probably should have done that one. Um, So this was the first VRBO or Airbnb, if you will. It was called something you never know because they never did make it. Um, But basically, so John was going to go there. I'm working in senior housing. I'm doing my thing. um, and I'm watching John look at this opportunity and draw the spreadsheets, and this could be Exciting. enormous. Yeah. It's just in Hawaii, but they could go worldwide. It's a huge market, right? Yep, yep. And, but he decided not to go to do it because um, it was underfunded, which is a good reason. And at the time, you know, you don't have, you know, all the <laughs> everything out in front of you. This is 99, so it's, everything's booming. Yep. But he thought that Expedia or ALL or any of those guys at the time were going to get into it and just put so much money into it that it was not, that they were just going to drown. So mm-hmm. he chose not to mm-hmm. leave Microsoft to go do that. But as I was watching him look at this, I said, well, nobody does that in elder care. And it's much harder to find elder care for your parent than it is to find a vacation rental home in Hawaii. Mm. Much harder. Yep. And so the values there and the pain points there. And li- literally, we were at our kitchen table. The light bulb came on, and then we started to go. And two months later, uh, Brian and I had quit our jobs. So he left the Hawaiian company. Mm-hmm. We started this. It was just immediate. So keep your eyes open and always be applying, right, um, I think is, is the motto there because it wasn't really I, – I had tried to start a company before, um, but it, when I was 28, and then now at this time I'm 37. So I, it took me that much longer to kind of get to that point again where I could do it. Right. And I also had the right idea. You've right. got to have the right idea too, something you're passionate about. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, something – I'm going to go to the first student question in a second here. So um, – if you, yeah, just go ahead and grab it. 
um, I, think, I think that's an important lesson is oftentimes you'll see a business opportunity in the wrong market, but that opportunity of a marketplace, for instance, in your case, is a great idea. It just needs to be applied in a different, in a different way. Yeah. And you had that experience of the elder care. But I'm just curious, so the, what was the competitive landscape at the time? Were there other people that were just doing it poorly? Or what made you think that you know, this... So you had the Hawaii experience. You said, I think I can do this in this space. But Yeah, so there was the, what we called mom and pop. So uh-huh. I, at the time, I was living and working in Portland, Oregon, and um, we had multiple properties in nine western states. So I knew nine states. Okay. Some states had senior housing referral services. Very, like, Susie Q, you know, little so mom and local. pop. Really local, yep. very... Um, you know, some days they were working and some days they weren't, you know, it was, it was like a, you know, a little homegrown business. Yep. And so I knew they were out there and I liked them because as running properties, properties don't make money until they're at 90% occupancy. Mm. So everybody thinks they're all full. Well, they're not. And, they, and even that last 10% is their margin. Mm. So that you have to have the next patient because a resident, because of course these people are 85. Right. You have attrition. Right. Um, and they're going places. And so it's, um, it's really critical to make that margin. It's a very tough business. So knowing that, I, I wanted those types of folks, but I, they just weren't out there. Right. And so that said need. Mm-hmm. And I am going to go to the student question, but I have another okay. follow-up. Yeah. So, so you, were, you, you saw this opportunity. It was, a lot of it was local. Did you have that national idea in your head at the beginning, like we're going to go national with this thing, or was it we're going to own the Northwest or... National. Really? A hundred percent. Because... That's a big vision. Well, I had lived in, um, let's see, six states in 13 years. So I traveled, and I traveled, so if I took a job in Ohio, I was traveling that whole region. So I had met all these people throughout the country who then, you know, over our 15 years, we all kind of went up and grew up in the industry. Yep. And so there were a couple reasons. One was that I, I sort of had a bit of a national network. The other one was at the time in 2000, you couldn't really market for Seattle and Portland on the Internet. It was much yep. harder. Yep. It was just sort of creaky back then. Now it's a little bit easier. But, um, but and, that all, was, and that was part of your early vision was Internet marketing. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, good. Yeah, it, it, it just all came together because of that vision of what it was called Viata, what the precursor to Airbnb was. Um, because the hard part, though, is like even in rental homes, right? They had to get that network in Hawaii. Yep. We had to get the network nationally. Yep. Yep. But if I called, um, and, and so it was scarce, you know, as I called the national players, the biggest national player at the time only had 400 properties. Well, today we have 20,000. So even getting the big guys only netted me, you know, 2,000 properties. Then mm-hmm. we had to start locally. So it was... It was hard to build, but we were also building a moat mm-hmm. because right, you right. can't, you, you got to knock on these doors or call and mail and text, and then we hired people to do that. Um, and we still today are adding properties. Yep. Um, the business model is that the properties pay, so not only do we have to get the, the baby boomers to call us about their aging parent, but we had to have the properties because the properties actually paid our revenue. Um, so you created a, a business model that's very, very difficult to pull off. It's a two-sided marketplace. Yeah. So if you think about Uber, if you think about eBay, Airbnb, these are a handful of companies that have done it because most companies don't. They either get one side, either the supply's too big or the demand's too small mm-hmm. because you, you're just not going to get a senior care facility excited when you don't have anybody calling them, right? They're, 
maybe they'll sign up and then they're going to bail on you. Well, how would they even know us? Right. I mean, they it, weren't looking on the internet for this type of thing. They didn't even really know of this type of thing in most states. Right. You Super know, difficult to pull off. And, and, but once you do, as you say, it's a bit of a moat because it's hard to create another marketplace. Like yes. One is usually a winner. So if you look at eBay, Uber, um, et cetera, Airbnb, yeah. there's usually one big winner. Right. It's a decentralized you know, uh, model. And so there's just lots of, lots of work that goes into it. Yep. Which is great, um, but also when you're raising money, you know, people don't like that. They right. want the easy, you know, right. scales. Right. Perfectly scaled. It's kind of hard. Gonna take gonna, <laughs> claw, claw our way around. Let's take the first student's question. Hi, Pamela. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit how A Place for Mom has changed since you initially started the company and maybe um, some of the metrics that could, you know, reflect that change. Um, let's see so much of it has not changed which is amazing we still help people we still help them the same way uh, I am so proud of that I, I actually have the first um, it wasn't a whiteboard we actually did it on those flip what do you call that flip chart yep, yep. <laughs> I still have it and if you look at it so much of it is the same um, which is nice and we're still helping people so that's good um, what has changed is um, you know obviously it's it's a very large company now, and um, there's a lot of structure. There's really amazing technology. We were always sort of creaky technology, <laughs> if you will, always afraid. One, one uh, you know, day I woke up, and we were in our basement, and I, there was no a place for my mom site. I'm like, where no. did our site go? And uh, I'm call, we're calling, and two hours later we get somebody who's like, yeah, we're moving to Florida. It's on a truck. It'll be there in two days. I'm like, are you kidding? That happened in the in 2000. They did that kind of thing. They like move your servers and unplug them. <laughs> but so the technology now is so robust, and we have 99.9 percent you know uptime. It's just amazing. Um, we have more tools for families. Before it was um, you know you could talk to us, but we didn't have a lot of tools to back that up. And now we have a lot of really interesting tools that we help them with, where they can rate and rank the properties as they tour them. Um, we also have expanded into Canada, and we'll be expanding. Um, we, we have really looked closely at London, and you know we, we have planned to expand um, internationally. Um, what else has changed? I think I think those are um, some of the big ones. So I always like to ask about mentors because again, yeah. much of the audience for this for this show is in that formative time when a mentor would really be helpful for them. What about you? Did you have a mentor that was that was pivotal in your early stages or even once you started the business? So when I was in my the corporate world, um, I did have and and I, I think of my parents as mentors too. And then I um, in the corporate world, I had um, a dear friend of mine. Um, named Mike Martell, who ran, he, he hired me at Dallas Rehab Institute, and then um, we just had a great rapport, and we thought the same, and we built this program there, and then he went on to be a, a corporate vice president at a larger company, and he recruited me to go there, and it was in Lima, Ohio, and if you never have to go, you must that's really good. like him. Exactly. <laughs> I said, I will come up and interview Mike, but I'm single and I play tennis and I'm not moving to Lima, Ohio, <laughs> so you know, but I did. But anyway, <laughs> some, because he was amazing and I just, he was just so positive and he just built things and he was the greatest salesperson and marketing leader 
and um, invaluable. And he and I are still dear, dear friends. Mm, mm. Um, he went on to build a company and sell it also. Wow. And um, did he, you work together on a place for mom? Yes, he came onto our board. Oh, great. And he, you know, he always said, you know, he didn't say tons, but one day he's like, why don't you collect more money? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's money sitting out there. And so, you know, just, just things like that, yeah. having run a business, that you get so busy running the business that you forget to collect the money. You know, or you can, you know, and that's cash flow and that's cash. Yep. And so, you know, it's just a really insightful um, things like that. So it's a lot of fun having them on the board. I mean, that's one of the things I love the most about my career was it was the relationships with people. Yes. And you get a lot of this in your career where you work with somebody, then you don't see them for a while, then you run into them again, maybe as an advisor or an investor or, yeah. or something else. And it's just so important to keep those relationships alive. You, you think you're done with that group behind you, and then five years later you realize, my gosh, I'm working with three of them again. So it's, it's just good business, but it's also, I think, the kind of yeah. a fun way to run, to run a business. Mm-hmm. So, so you, I'd love to hear about Mike. What about when people approach you, either, either in the past or now, and they want you to be a mentor? I'm sure that you get some inbound, right? What, what, is, what stands out in your mind? What, when somebody does something, or do you recall something that someone did where you were like, I'm going to give this person a little bit of time. I, I, that was unique, or that was different. Well, the first thing I say to people is, um, I'm happy to meet with you, but here's the thing. I don't like most ideas. <laughs> Sorry. You know, right. I just lay right. it out there. It's just like, I'm going to tell you what I think exactly. And I'm not saying that you... You should listen to me if you have a... I don't even know what their idea is at this point. It's just that I'm going to be critical and I'm going to give you the best advice in the nicest way. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't want to say, oh, that's a great idea to right, everything. You know right. what I mean? Or, so my approach is just I'm going to ask you questions. And I might also say, and I've said to some entrepreneurs, this is so out of my league. Like, I, I don't even know how to help you. And I'll tell you that, too, if I, if I do. So to me, that's mm-hmm. being a good mentor. It's just like... You know, say it like it is, um, ask the right questions. Have you thought about this? And usually with me as a mentor, it's all about sales and marketing and where's the revenue? Mm-hmm. Are you meeting with customers? What are they saying? Yep. Customers, customers, customers. Yep. So that's sort of my, my side of it. Um, you know. Do you find that most, and I'm going to go to the next student question in a second. Do you find that when people approach you, they're asking you to vet their idea? Or are they asking you about sales and marketing tactics? or? Usually it's ideas. It has been. Um, But I don't know why. um, You know, and I've only lived here four years, so um, maybe just haven't met enough people yet. But but I do get people from the elder care industry calling me from time Mm -hmm. to time Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, more of the sales and marketing side or how would I approach this or that. Right. And um, happy to help. Sometimes I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm helping as much as I could. I wish I could help more, but I, I usually just need a lot of information, and so it's But that's the sign of a service-oriented person. I feel that same way oftentimes. I get a lot right. of inbound, most of it's email, and I'm like, I wish I could help this person more, but right. just, I don't know enough about their business or their remote or, or yeah. whatever the and, and usually I'll try to say, maybe try this guy or yeah, that guy or, or Brian feel, or John because... I feel like if I can do that, that's, yeah. that's helping mm-hmm. them. So what I say, because um, I get that too, obviously in this role, um, what do you think of my idea? And I typically say, it doesn't really matter what I think of it, honestly. I mean, I can give you my like, gut, you know, right. you know, it sucks, it's great, but that's meaningless. It really matters what do you think about it. Yes. And then we usually spend the rest of the session, it's not like some silly Yoda trick, right? It's not like I'm just trying to be too clever. 
we spend the rest of the time, I'll say, tell me why you like it. Yes. You tell me why it's such a great idea. Yes. And sometimes you come out the out, other end of that and they're thinking it's not. And sometimes they're like, this is why I'm so excited about it. Yes. Great. Then it's a good idea for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Probably not a good idea for me at 55 years old, but for somebody I 21, cannot tell you the people who sat on the other side of the table telling me that my idea sucked. You know, I, get, I heard it, and I heard it a lot, and especially from VCs and anybody in the finance world. And in, in 2000 and 2001, when I was trying to raise oh, money. Oh, that was the worst time it, it in the last telecom. 50 years. I didn't even years. know what telecom was. I'm like, right. what's telecom? And they're like, no, I have to do with telecom. They're like, Elder care, senior housing, right. go away. Right, right. <laughs> so, but how did you sorry. react to the, and I will get to your question in a second, but how did you react to the no? Because you're right, you're going to get a thousand no's and then you might get a maybe. How did you internalize that? I don't know, Teflon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just get rid of it, you know? I mean, it, it, to me, it was a little bit empowering. It was like, it just made yes. that challenge you know, um, bigger and greater, but it made that success yeah. even stronger. Right. So I would try to use that as, a, I mean, I don't want to sound too Pollyanna, but I did try to use it as a way to, because I was raising money. I was the point of the arrow and trying to get money for our companies. Right. And I got no all the time. Yeah. And I would just say that I just didn't do a good job of explaining to that person. Or they weren't, I, it was my fault for even talking to them because they weren't a good fit. Right. I always try to figure yeah, out. Yeah, you can't take it personally at all. And right. you can't, and it mostly is a, not a, just not a good fit. Right. Or they don't understand it and don't have time to, and that's okay. But that's but they on just you. don't like the industry. That's on you, not on them, right? If it, if yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I had one guy, you know, gave a presentation to a group of angel investors, and, and he stood in line and stood in line to talk to me, and then at the end he's like, I just came to tell you, you're never going to I mean, He stood in line to tell me that. He's like, because somebody said to me, would you take this valuation for your company? And I said, no. Oh, wow. And I, and I told John and Brian, before we go up there, don't ever say no. Right, and then right. they're like, and then the yes, how do you go no? You and I was like, no. I just spelled it, you know, like, no. And um, because it was a dumb valuation. Right, and it right. wasn't even like, it was not an appropriate question for right. a group in the right. beginning. So anyway, he was the one, he just sat. He's not the one who asked the question, but he did not like my answer. And he said, you're never going to make it. I was like, well, thank you for giving me that feedback. Yeah, it's like, can I have your name and number so I can call you what I do? <laughs> but didn't you never make that call if you, you want never do. We'll take uh, the next question. Hi. Um, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your pay-for-performance business strategy, if you had any challenges with it, or if you tried anything that was less successful. Okay. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> because you have to perform. And, um, and there's a couple ways we did it. One is, uh, you know, right? You're, you're on the line. You're not getting, you know, the lovely SaaS recurring revenue monthly. You know, that's lovely. I'd love to have a program like that. Actually, our You've Got Leads software program is that. But, um, but it made sense. Um, we did look at, you know, should we pay per lead? Should we run advertising? Um, you know, there's so many different ways to do it. Um, should we do pay-per-clicks and you know really at the end of the day to us it just made so much sense because in the in the senior housing industry um, as I mentioned they have to have 90 residents out of 100 units to make money and they don't have a lot of extra marketing dollars very slim budgets so if I go to them and say x dollars per year and they'll go but what for what so it was really I knew it would be such a hard sell there were some people selling subscription online. You could get your web page and, you know, have all the leads come right to you. Well, then you're getting not qualified leads. That was my perspective. I wanted to talk to people, understand what they were doing, 
and then give the properties a very highly qualified lead. Well, that costs a lot more. So they're going to pay me a lot more than they're paying the guy whose subscription. But it just made so much sense. And I knew in our industry it would speak better. Because as I used to say to them, if you sign up and I never send you anybody, you don't pay me a dime and we're still friends. Mm -hmm. I said that to... 100,000 times. <laughs> Had it down. Uh, because it was true. And they liked that. It's true. Like, what do you have to lose to sign the contract? But if I get you something, on average, they stay 18 months. You charge, fill in the blank here, you know, $3,000. You get that revenue. You pay me half the month's, first month's rent. That's 3% of your marketing budget for that client. That's a really great return on investment. They could get that. Um, so that's why we did it, and, and it, but it was hard, you know, uh, um, and again, you know, VCs and things, it's, it's nice, but it's just harder to do. So sometimes you got to go the harder route on the, on the model, yep. but um, it worked, and it's a great moat, and, um, and still a great model to the state. I still love it. Yep, and similar to Angie's List had a similar model. I worked mm -hmm. with her at the very beginning, and oh, she ended up yeah. growing that to a public company. Yeah. And I had a teeny tiny little business that had that, that same model, and I, I loved it because I, I could go to a potential customer and I would say, you're only going to pay me when I deliver for you. And if I don't deliver for you, I've wasted my time. So mm. I am not going to come to a company that I don't think I can deliver for. In other words, I've done my homework up front. I think that I can drive some revenue for you, um, and you know, if I don't, I'm the one that's out, not you. And it was it. a great sales pitch, yeah. and it forced us to, you know, we made mistakes and, and weren't always able to make it work. But we, you know, Angie's List was one of our customers. We ended up making it work for most of our most of our customers. Super easy. So if you can think about how can you approach someone and have that kind of an offer to them, say, look, don't pay me unless I deliver. If you can make that business model work, it's powerful. Now you have to deliver. But if you have confidence in your product or confidence in yourself, it will work. So anyway, I want to talk to you about your business model because I'm, I'm sitting here reading about you, getting excited about talking to you, and I think that reminds me of this other little company I had, and I love the, the performance model. And then I read a nasty article, made me angry, that was questioning the veracity of your approach. I won't name that it was the New York Times. Um, <laughs> you're so anti-business. They're just ridiculously anti-business. But... So it was just very pejorative article that yeah. I thought was just missing the point entirely. Yeah. How did you deal with that kind of pushback from, obviously the guy didn't really understand your business, didn't take the time to understand it, but yeah. felt like there was an angle, like you're doing something that's just not quite right. Well, he didn't even sure call me it. for one. Of so course not. Well, you could tell when you read right. that article, you I could know. tell that there that's wasn't okay. that forethought. Yeah, so two know. questions. How do you deal with that kind of negative right. press? Mm -hmm. And then how did you in general just deal with that pushback on the business model? Well, the great thing about the business model is every day I got letters from families thanking me, and that's all I need. I don't care about the New York Times. You know, all I had to do was go back, open my email to where all the families flowed in, and then boom, and I could read all those emails and go, this isn't right. And usually with reporters like that, and we hardly had any, so right. I'm interested that you found that's that. That's the only one I saw. That's okay, yeah. No, and I would send them, like, here's why. Like, talk to the families. Yep. So there was that. So I just, and we were just so confident and knew that we were doing the right things and that the partners love it and that the families love it and that there's just so much goodness, a win, win, win all the way around that it, it does hurt though because it's, it's like your child getting bullied in school or yeah. something. You know? <laughs> Don't say that about my company. You know, it just, it does hurt because you just think, gosh, that's the New York Times. 
But it also, it's like there and gone. But you're lucky it was pre-Twitter because it would have been a Twitter storm for 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's true, pre-Twitter. Um, and even then, I don't know, you just, you have to weather those storms. And that's, and, and that's the thing we said, you know, it's a cloud, it's coming over, it's raining, and then it's going to move on because there's just too much goodness. And you just focus on the positive and, um, and try to do what you can. I, I will say, um, my bad, and you try to learn from, well, what are they trying to say in here? Right. What could we do better to make people not have that concern, whatever it is? And so we, we do want to look at anything negative like that, and we did. Um, you know, and, and try to tweak the model such that it doesn't, because uh, I think anybody who read it was sort of also like, but it's free. Right. And you're not making them go in there. Right. So, it, you know, I think people got it, like, just trying to be ornery that day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. I mean, like I said, just sort of a <laughs> negative approach to business. And then at the end of the article, he yeah. says, and by the way, the government provides us service anyway, and you should use the government service. Six, he said there were 600 agency um, on aging offices. Yeah, which... What are these people doing? And how are you able to compete with them? They, they refer to us. <laughs> Honestly. Okay. They, they refer to us, and they give a list. So a list is like... And hospitals do this, too. And they, they, they can't... They don't have time. They never leave the hospital. You know, we're in these homes right. looking at them, touring them. We have legal team making sure that their surveys are good. And, you know, that we're referring to great places. And... Um, you know, it's just all there. So I think it's it's really just building that that great model that no matter who gives you the left hook, <laughs> you're still standing. Right. And you just carry on with your with your torch of we're helping families every day. That's what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. No, I know. I'm, I know that you had the right attitude there, but I just all these years later, I read that and I. Still, I know. Yeah. Still no, was, it still hurt. <laughs> still not happy about it. We'll take the next student question. Hi. So uh, building up. Off, uh, we were just talking about um, giving up ownership of a company that you have devoted so much time to doesn't seem like an easy decision. Um, so what were some factors that played into making this decision, and what were some of the benefits and disadvantages that were a result of it? Right. Yeah, the baby. <laughs> Hard to give up the baby. Uh, let's see. So really from the get-go, it wasn't going to be a lifestyle business. You know, that. It was is my life, you know, it was my lifestyle, but it wasn't meant to be, um, it was meant to, it, it is just going to be so big that we knew that we were going to have to take on various rounds of funding and eventually I wouldn't be the CEO. And I, and I didn't think about that on day one, um, but I knew that that would happen because, you know, my sort of love is, you know, kind of the zero to 50 million um, and really growing it, maybe even the zero to ten or the yeah, ten to twenty. Yeah, me too. But once it starts being this big machine with, you know, it's like, meh. <laughs> that is not my interest. So, um, but I still love the company. So the advantages are, you can kind of get in really great, smart people who are good at the next revenue levels. And, you know, I think a lot of CEOs, they think they can do all the, <laughs> you know. Very, All the levels. Very few I can run a I can run a public company, you know, and good job, Mark Zuckerberg. He does it every day. It's awesome. <laughs> but um, you know, for me, I don't know. I guess I could have gone that route, but I I don't think that would have been the best thing. And um, you know, so I think that's one of the advantages is you can really I really care that the company um, has a legacy and, and is here in a hundred years and 
you know, forever and that we become everything elder care and it's a household name. Um, I'm not the best person to do that necessarily. So I think in terms of getting the right leadership in at the right time is, is great. Um, but it is hard to leave and all of the, you know, I love setting up the culture. Not only was I kind of the external um, head of sales and marketing, but the internal one too in terms of just um, the hiring and these people and the culture. I love building the culture and making it fun and exciting. So that was hard to leave. That was kind of maybe one of the downsides. Um, well, let me ask you yeah. about culture. So okay. when you go on Glassdoor, you know, there's all these ways of, of sort of looking at a company's culture from the outside looking in. They're all accurate, but you should get a feel yes. for it. Mm-hmm. So you have a very, very high rating on Glassdoor. All of those, you're, the company's rated um, quite highly. What, how would you describe the culture? And has it changed since the PE firm took over? But in, So in the earlier days, what culture did you strive to create, and how do you think it manifested itself? Right. Uh, it's definitely a different culture now, but... Was, both are good. Mm-hmm. Both are really good, but it's different. Um, and the, the CEO we hire is from Expedia. It's a big company, you know, very tech-forward. Yeah, metric-driven. Metric-driven. Um, so it's awesome. Uh, when I ran it, it's, it was different because we were straight commission. So hiring straight commission people is really hard because who wants that job? Right. You know, we had other benefits and things, but it's tough. And so we had to get people who loved helping the elderly, and then they could work from home. And so this was a great job for many people because mm-hmm. kids or whatever. Um, so the culture was really, um, we called it living on love for oh, a while. Really? Yeah, just because so many of us did this because we just believed. Mm-hmm. And not only, you know, for the families, but also like... This is it. This can be big, and this is so important. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing, and we're doing it. And there were, the, you know, the first five of us, and then the first ten, and the first twenty. And you know, a lot of these people, my friends, like I'm calling up people, you know, at the time who were making a hundred thousand dollars a year, going, "Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right. do you like to come work for no money and straight commission?" And <laughs> You'll be living on stock options. <laughs> um, and some of them said yes. Yeah. Um, and so that was good. But yeah, it was uh, it was tough. So. It's, um, but it paid off. So you, it totally you, paid you off. lived yeah. up to your promise to yeah. them. I always felt yeah. like that's, that was the, the most stressful part of being an entrepreneur for me with the commitments I made to other team members, employees, <sighs> so and partners. Fun. I mean, I never really worried about running out of money, even though we almost did a bunch of times. It was more of how's this going to impact all these people that I made all these promises to. Yeah, and, so similar. Yeah, so that's where the real pressure, I think if, you're, if you have a healthy culture, that's where the pressure is. When so we, how is it mm-hmm. how is it changing? So you were living on love, getting people to make crazy decisions based on yeah. their vision, their belief in your vision, mm-hmm. and then now we're in much more of a Expedia run. Yeah. So you know, and that was kind of our first five years was living on love. I think the next five was just rapid growth and excitement, and we had a lot of churn because when you have straight commission, first of all, salespeople turn over no matter what right. company they're right. working for, they turn. Yep. And then we add more because when they're straight commission, they turn. And so that's hard when you have turnover because they have to make money and some people can't do the job. It's just that simple. Um, but I think, you know, the minute we switched it to um, once uh, Warburg took over, we were able, we had the financial flexibility that I didn't have before to change the commission model to allow for mm-hmm. a base plus a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped and it, it relieved the churn which was a lot when I ran it, but mm-hmm. we still did it. I mean, mm-hmm. we would hire 50 people a month and 40 would leave. You know, it was like 
we were still growing, but it, right. you can imagine that kind of, that's tough yeah. on a yeah. company. That's yeah. a lot of churn. Yeah. So because we were able to calm that down, that once we had this new financial model, that was really great. Um, I think there's still the, you know, the love of what we do mm-hmm. because at some level, um, you know, and even our devs, you know, you're in Seattle and you're a dev. <laughs> do you want to work for a place for a mom? Right, right. Or do you want to work for Google or Amazon or all those cool companies out there? You know, it's right, tough. Right, um, So, but, but even they, you know, some people do. They want that, like, younger. And then, you know, you've got this guy from Expedia. So you, you start seeing, and he brought in a whole team of great Expedia people. So you start seeing kind of this excitement like, oh, this could be Expedia. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think there's some real you know, culture around that and excitement around kind of the next phase. Mm-hmm. Um, we started doing television commercials after the Warburg Pincus. Um, we did a few when, you know, before the money came in, but after we were able. Anybody ever see our commercial? So that was my Joan wife. London, you're not the target market. That so was it doesn't my, surprise me. My, <laughs> my wife is the target market, and she, that's how she knew your company. She, she knew, was yeah. telling you, telling her about it. She goes, "Of course, I, love I know it. that company." That's right. Yeah. So if you ask your parents, <laughs> yeah, right, they'll probably know. So that creates excitement. Um, Zoe and I were walking through the airport like years ago, and then it was, she's like, "Mom, <laughs> there wasn't a bar in the oh, nice. in the airport." Nice. Um, so that creates some excitement around the culture and um, and just what we're doing. And I think people are really excited around the entrepreneurialism, the the ability of this to be the next. I don't know. Fill in the blank here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you're you know you mentioned the zero to ten or zero to fifty. I kind of put myself mm-hmm. in that category again. It's knowing who you are yes. and what you're good at. And there's just folks that are following the Expedia CEO who are that next level. Like, yeah, I always admire is. them. Like, how can they run a $100 million company? Like, and he I, loves it. I'd and be... that's like right in his wheelhouse. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. so awesome. So, yeah. so I'm going to take one more student question in a second. But I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about John. Yeah. And, and how, you know, would you recommend somebody starting a business with a spouse? I know there's two sides to that coin. I know. You lived it. Yeah. So how did you guys try to make it work? Like what, did you try to, when you went home, you didn't talk about it? Or what words of wisdom? Sure. Because, and I'm, sorry, one more yeah. preamble. Okay. So my class that I had this afternoon, I, I showed the 12 wealthiest self-made women, and the large majority were with their husbands. And I don't mean their husbands made the money and they, they did it together. Yeah. So it's a very common model. Mm-hmm. Even women that, you know, you're, they're not household names, they grew these businesses with their husbands. So yeah. it's, it's alive and well. Yeah, it can definitely work. And actually, we were dating at the time. Imagine that. I mean, the company formed um, before we were married. And um, it never occurred to us not to. Mm-hmm. We loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved working with him. Uh, he loved working with me. I mean, there, and, and I think there were two reasons uh, that are critical. One is, if, you, if, we were, if we both wanted to run technology and finance, that would right, not have worked. Right. You have to divide and conquer yep. <laughs> if you're going to do this with somebody you love, be it anybody, you know, uh, a spouse, a friend. And, and then we brought his college roommate in, and not them, I mean, we did it together. But that was a key factor because I called Brian the tiebreaker. But mm. a lot of times I was the tiebreaker for them, like, stop. <laughs> right. And so because we had three, yep. it was almost easier. Yep. And um, it was often... Like, who's tie-breaking who? Because there was always, you know, it was a triangle, right? It was three of us all the time. And so for us, it was three parts of a brain. I did this, he did that, they did that. You know, and so we were all, it would just, it multiplied 
in a lovely way. I think if you, if you want to all run the same things, maybe much harder. Did you find it difficult to shut it off? Because I always, I always thought, thought I could never work with my wife because I was always thinking about the business anyway. Mm -hmm. And it, I would just talk about it all the time with her. So it was kind of nice to have her go, I, I, let's, we're not talking about that right now. And did you work with her? Or? No. 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 She, okay, yeah. So she would have fired me. <laughs> That's funny. No. Um. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So we did not shut it off. Uh -huh. And every time I hear the word balance, I get a little like, yeah, balance, you know? <laughs> because why? Because I love what I do. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about it all the time. And so what's wrong with that? I, to me, now, of course, then when I had a baby, <laughs> my mom, you can fact check my mom on this. She'd be like, you get home here to this baby. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> um, and it was true. And, and it was fabulous. It changed the whole situation. Um, because, you know, we're in the depth, Zoe was born in 2004, so we're right in the depth of it, of like still clawing our way, you know, yeah. no money, we're still like on the dollar and the penny. And um, I don't know. I mean, we were able to break away from it a little bit, but we just loved it. So what's, if you right. love something, I mean, my dad still works, he's 83. If you take that away from him, he's going to drop dead. So why would we do that? Mm -hmm. For him, that's balance. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of say to, you know, yourself, is that okay? I mean, it, your wife was able to say, no, I don't want to talk about that. But I never said that to John. He never said it to me. So it just kept going. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you probably solved we a liked lot of, it. And yeah. you probably solved a lot of problems outside of work yeah. that, you, that would have been inappropriate to talk about at work, right? Some maybe personnel issues yeah. and things like that. Because I, like I said, it's a model that works for a lot of people. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a number of friends that had those lifelong partnerships with their spouse and they built great businesses together. Yeah. I just don't think I could have done it. And uh -huh. I don't have time for the last question. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but I do have, um, next time. But I want to end on talking about your new venture. I know you don't want to say too much about it, but I'd love to hear what lessons you think you've already injected into it from a, a place for mom. And then if you want to give us any kind of a basic idea of what sure. you might be thinking. Okay. Well, I'm not saying what it is because I have no idea if it's going to be worth anything. <laughs> so that's, it's not that it's some big secret and I'm, you know, sitting on the next Uber. Maybe I am. But, um, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I left the company, uh, and I started the company as a chairman in 11. And I really, you know, there's this like, well, what are you doing next? You know, right. feeling in myself yes. and everybody yeah. asks me and there's this pressure sort of, and I finally had to go, you know, it's okay to just travel, which mm -hmm. I did, and um, take time off and um, play a little tennis. But um, also, I couldn't think of what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. And so that's okay. You know, you just, sometimes you have to be like, well, there's not a good idea yet, so it's okay. What land did you hear in Santa Barbara? Uh, so 16 years in Seattle will... Yes. Immediate... Check, please. You, you know? came back and saw the sun 300 <laughs> right, days a exactly. year, 320. So... Um, John actually exited the company first, and he, his first job uh, for our family was to find us a great place to live. Mm. And so we, we looked all over the place. But, um, and anyway, wound up in Carmel Valley, but four months later said, oh, gosh, that's a little rural, too small. So we wound up here. We love it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, let's see. I got you off. I'm sorry. That's I'm just right. curious about Santa Barbara. But going oh, back yeah. to the venture. So. Oh, yeah, to the venture. So... Um, I, the things I'm applying from a place for mom is one minimal viable product. Mm. I'm not putting a ton of money into this. Mm -hmm. I could call my, my, I get 
people all the time sure. who invested in us before yes. and are like, what are you doing? Like, I'll, they don't even know what right. it is. Can they want to put you money in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll write you a check. I'm not taking any money. We're doing minimal viable product. I actually am doing it with Brian, uh, one of my other co-founders. Oh, very cool. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, we're just putting a little bit of money in it. We're going to test it. We're going to see how it goes, see if we think it has an option, and we may just put it to rest. And actually, John and Brian have done two or three businesses, both all that they put to rest. Mm. You know, just try it out. Yep. Um, didn't work. Put it to rest. Uh, so that's, I think, what we're learning, you know, pulling from a place for mom is just uh, go slowly. Uh, not slowly, but, but go carefully and don't, don't raise a bunch of money. And everybody I talk to loves it and thinks it's going to be a great idea, but... Um, I just want to make sure it works right. and think about the model. It's not in my industry, so I'm so that's learning. A, so I'm learning, that's and great. that's I know this is a big thing. You know, that if you're doing something not in your industry or in your wheelhouse, you've got um, issues. There are many parallels to a place for mom, which I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be fun to see. I bet it will have be fun. Yeah. I always like going into a new industry. Just that curiosity factor of like. Why do they do it this way? Right. And challenging conventional wisdom and all that good stuff. Exactly. That's, that's fantastic. Good yes. for you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. We yeah. really appreciate it. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.